0: In our, in the Sunday service in a little while, I'm going to share more of my testimony and more of my story with you. Uh, so you'll get a better sense of my, um, just background and, and family life and testimony. But in this hour, I want to dive right in because we're going to be talking about one of the most essential practices in the Christian home. One of the most essential practices in the Christian home. And that being the practice of family worship. When I say family worship, I mean, having prayer in your home with whoever you live with, having an open Bible in your home with whoever you live with. Let me ask you a question. How many of you grew up in a home or you're growing up in a home that has regular family worship, family prayer and family Bible? Put your hand up for me if you grew up in a home like that. All right, take a look. Put your hands up really high because I'm doing a demonstration here. If you look around the room, you're going to see some wonderful children who have their hands up. So they're saying we grew up like that. But you adults, uh, where's Pastor Chad? I'm just meeting your congregation right now, okay? And I don't want to be offensive, but they are a bit of a remedial group. (laughs) In other words, statistically, 15% of church-going adults grew up in homes that had family prayer and family worship in the home. And I would say, I'm doing a quick estimate here, probably more like 10%. So like you know, bottom of the barrel type situation here. No, but not many of us grew up like this. So do you think that if only 15% of adult Christians grew up with this kind of spiritual life in the home, do you think more Christian families today or less Christian families today have family worship in the home? Yeah, less. Now, very interesting. We're in the middle of a real reformation of the Holy Spirit around the world. 2005 was the first recent study on this by George Barna. He found 5% of church-going families had family prayer and family Bible in the home. That would make sense. Most recent study, Mark Holman with Faith at Home, 22% Christian families had family prayer and family Bible in the home. And I absolutely, now that's not a wonderful celebrate the number, but the trajectory is absolutely moving in the right direction. I'll tell you why. Because all over the world, churches are doing what your church is doing today and has been doing with your uh, pastors leading. God is calling the hearts of parents and grandparents to the hearts of their kids and calling families back to this model of, hey, our faith has to begin at home and we're going to reach the world for Christ through a partnership of the church and the home. So in this opening session, we're gonna talk about family worship. I'm gonna give you a a biblical foundation for it, a historical foundation, some principles, and then some practice. So we're gonna dive right in. Biblical foundation uh, for family worship, and I'm realizing that my slides need to switch here. Oh, more pictures of AV, let's go. How about that? How do those pictures sneak in there? I don't have any idea. All right, you all got handouts, right? So track along with me if you would. Let's talk about a theological foundation for this. First of all, that the family is God's primary vehicle for the evangelism and discipleship of children. Sorry for the churchy words there. The family is the place where kids and grandkids are introduced to Jesus. And the family is the place where their faith is primarily nurtured. We are going to spend a a fair amount of time in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning, but this is a, a central passage in the Bible, not because Rob says it's a central passage, but because Jesus says it's a central passage. We call it the great commandment. You're probably familiar with it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your heart's The very next verse now, God speaks to the home and he speaks to parents and grandparents. Teach them diligently to your children. In other words, if you want to love me and you've got kids and grandkids, nieces, nephews, help them love me. If you want my word in your heart, mission number one is help the little ones have my word in their heart as well. And then this next principle, that family worship is the engine that powers the Christian family. So remember, the family is the vehicle to introduce kids and grandkids to Jesus. Family worship, these few moments of family prayer and family Bible, that's the engine that powers the vehicle. Let me show you this in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are be upon your hearts. Mission number one, teach them diligently to your children. And where are we gonna start? Look at this next verse, so powerful. Talk about them, the them is the word of God, the things of God, where? When you sit at home, I'm going to go over this a couple of times today. Love God with all your heart. Yes, Lord, I want to love you. Where do I start? Open my book at home with your family. Talk about me at home with your family. Have you ever had conversations with your kids about how things were different when you were growing up? I uh, usually travel with with one or more of my children. Unfortunately, my son got under the weather a little bit yesterday, so I'm solo. And I ask my kids whenever we travel, I want you to get two questions ready for dad so that we have some things to talk about. I want you to ask me one question about my life growing up, and I want you to ask me any other question you want about uh, God or the Bible or our faith. Like, I don't know if I have answers to your questions, but at least we'll talk about it. So we're on a trip recently, and my uh, my I guess they would have been 12 and 8, my boys. They said, dad, tell us about TV when you were growing up. I'll tell you about TV. So first of all, I explained the thing, the big rectangular giant thing that we had and the the, the two, three, four, the big dial on the front and that UHF thing and the rabbit ears where you had to have your little brother stand on a chair with aluminum foil and like this so that you could get the the channel to come in right. And then I told him about the TV Guide, Sunday Paper, TV Guide, little magazine comes and it tells you what shows are on at what time on what channel. So if you wanna watch the the fall guy at, at, Tuesday night at 7, you have to turn your set onto channel 3 at that time. And if you don't turn your set on the TV at that time, you can't watch it. And you missed it, and there is no watching it. And they're like, well, why don't you just stream it later? I'm like, no, no, there's no streaming of anything. Like, the stream is in the yard. That's the only stream that there is. But one of the big differences... With, with, I think, kids today is that they have lousy cartoons on television compared to what we had. Amen? Amen. All right, you all remember this. Hey, oh, yeah. okay, Flintstones, you remember their vehicles? Uh, somebody tell me how they power the vehicle with their feet, yes. Underneath, children, attention. I know you don't know, what have any idea what this is. Underneath this car, it's open and their feet are on the ground and they, they run, okay, to power the car. Once I got older, I'm like, okay, they're running everywhere they go. Why carry a car? Like, I don't know why that, I don't know how that, from a physics standpoint, helps you at all, but I don't think it was meant to be thought through. It's a human powered car, agreed? Most Christian families today are Flintstone families. They're Flintstone families. They bring human effort and human willpower to deal with all the problems in the home. Would would it be possible for you to put your car in neutral everywhere you're going to go, church, school, grocery store, you're going to put the car in neutral and everybody's going to get out and push. In theory, could that be done? Theoretically, maybe in Green Bay, it's sort of flat, kind of. In theory, it could be done, but it'd take you forever to get anywhere. You'd be exhausted all the time. That's how most Christian families work. They bring, they bring two things to the table to deal with all their struggles. They've got marriage struggles, spiritual struggles, sibling struggles, financial struggles, you name it. They bring good intentions and willpower. Most Christian families I know have good intentions. They mean well. And they're trying. They're trying to be a, a good husband, a good wife, good son. Have you ever had a big family argument and, and you have to pull folks together for a family meeting at the dinner table or in the living room. And uh, you you, you explain what's going on and people say, sorry, it's okay, sorry, it's okay. And then you end with your grand speech. Okay, everybody, we all just need to try so that this doesn't. All right, you've done this, good. So here's the thing, why are we meeting? We're meeting because someone sinned, someone did something wrong. Now, in my family, when one person sins, like eight people sin quickly thereafter, right? So it's never just one person. But the whole point of the meeting is we want less sin in the house tomorrow. Can we agree on that? That's why we're meeting. So in order to have less sin in the house tomorrow, we all just need to try so that this doesn't... We just need to be better people in this house. Good luck. How's that going for you? Right? We're looking for heart transformation with good intentions and trying harder. Not going to happen. We need the supernatural power of God to change our hearts and to renew our minds and to give us strength from the Holy Spirit to be the people that we are naturally not. You want your kids to have faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right, let me give you a little historical foundation Uh, for this. I'm going to zero in on one history piece from the Reformation. Back in Scotland in 1640, they used to teach uh, visionary parenting uh, classes. Now, they didn't call them visionary parenting. That's what we call ours. Uh, They called them directions for family worship. Hey, here's how to pray and read the Bible at home without killing each other, right? How to, you know, engage everyone. And this was the preamble to their teaching. I'm going to translate the old English here as needed. The assembly requires and appoints ministers to make diligent search and inquiry, whether there be among them a family or families which neglect the duty of family worship. Translation, pastors or deacons from your church are going to visit your home every now and then to make sure you're praying and reading the Bible with the kids and grandkids. How would you like that knock? If such a family's found, the head of the family is to be admonished privately to amend his fault. Chad, you need to be praying or reading the Bible with your kids. He's in the front row and I know his name and it's a safe... If I pick some random person, I can get too personal. Okay. Um, you need to be praying or reading the Bible with the kids. Oh, yes, fellow pastors and deacons, I'll do that right away. In case of his continuing therein, Still not praying or reading the Bible with the kids. He's to be gravely and sadly reproved by the session. Now the leaders of the church are going to meet with Chad. I'm going to take your pastor head off right now, okay? And uh, Chad, you've got to be praying or reading the Bible with the kids. Oh, yes, session. I'm going to start right away. After which reproof, if he's still found to neglect family worship, let him be for his obstinacy in such an offense, suspended and debarred from the Lord's Supper until he amend. Chad, you can't take communion this week. You're under the discipline of the church. Now we say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Church discipline. We don't do church discipline for anything, and they're doing church discipline for a lack of family worship in the home. This is how they explain it. These Reformation churches were committed to the global advance of the gospel, and they believed that the Bible taught that the gospel began with the souls of the little ones, And the little ones were entrusted to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa in the home. And mom and dad and grandma and grandpa in the home were commanded by God to pray and read the Bible with those children in the home. Genesis 18, Joshua 24, Psalm 78, Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians chapter 6. And so in order to reach the world for Christ, we had to have family worship in each little home. And that if a family would not have prayer and Bible in their home, then maybe they weren't even on board with the gospel. Maybe they weren't even on board with the mission of the church. You see, they connected global missions with family worship in the home. I'm going to give you a couple principles, and I'm going to do these quickly because I want to get into the practice. Number one, family worship is the intersection of a right relationship with God and a right relationship with family. During these 5, 10, 15 minutes, we're saying, God, we want to be right with you vertically, and we want to be right with each other horizontally. Family worship is the intersection of those two most important life relationships. Next one, and it looks like I've got a typo on my slide here. Family worship is not Bible class. Family worship is not Bible class. Uh, I have, how many kids do I still have at home? I got two married, I got one, I don't get four. Uh, So my my range at home right now is age 20 to 10. And people will ask, well, Rob, how do you do family worship with a 20-year-old and a 10-year-old? What's behind their question is a Bible class mentality, that they think that I have content to teach to my class, and therefore, how do you teach content at a 20-year-old level and content at a 10-year-old level or with my one-year-old granddaughter at a one-year-old level? Well, we're not doing Bible class. I don't have a syllabus that I'm getting through by the end of the semester. I don't have tests and quizzes that I'm giving. This is family worship. We, we can all pray. We can all either read or hear God's word read. And, and sometimes our conversations after we read go older kid. Sometimes our conversations go little kid. Sometimes our conversations go nowhere. Sometimes I get the sense that my little congregation is eager to conclude I'm just like picking up the vibe that they're like ready to be done. So if I sense my little congregation is eager to conclude, what do I do? It starts with a C. I conclude. Yeah. I go, hey, are you guys like tired and you want to kind of wrap things up? Yeah, dad, that'd be good. We're pretty exhausted. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Who wants to pray right now? As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. It's okay. Right, We're going to try again tomorrow. Uh, sometimes, sometimes family worship in my house looks like this. Kids. your dad's exhausted. Let's pray. God, help these children fall asleep fast. (laughs) Amen. Now, all of you go to bed. You're like, that's family worship? Yeah, that's family worship. That's not very good. No, it's not very good. It's just all I've got right now. You understand? So sometimes it's a a text of a scripture. Sometimes it's a scripture scribbled on the napkin if dad leads for work, whatever it is. Um, uh, But it's not Bible class. All right, last one. Family worship prepares children for worship in the family of God. Kids who have family worship in the home have their little spirits practiced up for worship with their big family. They learn to pray with other people. They learn to hear God's word read. They learn to respond in their heart to God's word. They learn to sing. don't mean to weird you out. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And kids who don't have family worship in the home oftentimes find what happens in here with their big family to be a little odd. Now, this is particularly true, and I know this is not uh, your church, but in the 20th century, we had some churches that kids and teenagers never came in here except for Christmas and Easter because those were the two Sundays we couldn't get enough volunteers for them to do their classes. So let's think about that. A child grows up in that church, right, birth to 18, okay, They only see their mother or father worship God in the community of the saints 36 times in their whole life. Twice a year. And then we're shocked when they think that, well, I don't know if I want to be a part of this after they leave the home. They were never a part of it. That's a sermon for another day. Okay, let's dive in uh, to the practice of family worship. I want you to write these uh, six things down. I think it's on the back side of your sheet. Talk about the practice of family worship. I'm going to give you six elements. We're going to talk through each one of these elements. I want to talk to you about activity, singing, Bible reading, discussion, prayer, and catechism. Activity, singing, Bible reading, discussion, prayer, and catechism. And I'm going to leave these up on the screen for you. You'll have time to jot them down. But while you're doing that, super important that you hear this. My message for you this morning is not, 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 not. When you have the grandkids over with your kids, with your nieces, nephews, thou shalt do one, two, three, four, five, six. Am I clear? Not the message. I am giving you six tools in your toolbox. Sometimes you're going to reach in and take out number four. Sometimes you're going to reach in and take out number one and number six. You're going to mix and match. Based upon the day and the mindset and the availability and the preparation and who's there and all of that, I'm just giving you tools in the toolbox that you are going to to choose from. So let me walk through each one of these. Some of the best family worship times in our house come when I am prepared or I've put a little preparation into an activity into an object lesson, into a game. Now, this is particularly effective for elementary school age kids and grandkids. In fact, when we have our lunch hour together, I'm gonna do some of these because we're gonna have all the kids together and I'm gonna be doing very intentional, multi-generational teaching. By the way, the lunch hour is for everybody in the whole church. We're talking about healing family relationships and principles that'll help uh, everybody. So I hope that you all stay. But here's my problem with like activities and object lessons. My problem is, is that I am not creative and I hate crafts. They, they paralyze me. You know, you can teach your kids a great gospel lesson with popsicle sticks and glue. Here's what you do, da 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 Well, that ain't happening because I don't know where that stuff is. Well, it's in the drawer right over there. That's too far. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So we need object lessons that are like bottom of the barrel, easy fruit to pick. So we do in our family a fair amount of Bible charades. Remember charades? You act something out and people have to guess what it is. So we say, hey, is there a a Bible history? We call them histories, not stories. Uh, Does anybody have a Bible history that you want to act it out for us silently and we'll guess what it is? My boy Ray, he's 14 now. Let me grab my water here real quick. He's 14 now. But when he was younger, when he was six, seven years old, he um, he was a very gifted dyer. Like oh, 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 like he died good. So if one of his older siblings had a Bible history they wanted to do, and they say, "Well, I need Ray to act this one out," well, you know somebody's going to die. So they go in the other room, they plan their skit, they come out, they act it out, and then she's like, do it, man, do it. And then he does his death scene. The problem is, like from a a charade standpoint, the problem is from a charade standpoint that so many people die in the Bible that it doesn't like narrow down. What am I watching here? Who's dying now? But we're, yeah, we're, we're doing Bible charades. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I've done like little puppet shows and you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. You're like a puppet guy with a puppet theater. No, I have a sock and a coffee table and I lay down behind the coffee table with the sock and I act out some verse or some, I have, you know, I don't have a ton of shows, but I do have a favorite show. Would you like me to do it for you right now? All right, let's do the puppet show right now. Uh, now. I do not have my equipment, which is my sock and my coffee table. No, no. He's pulling his pant leg up to take a sock off. I was at, I was at, I was at Forest Springs Family Camp over in Westboro, and I was teaching, I was sharing this illustration. A sock comes flying up on the stage. A summer family camp, and uh, I go over and I, I'm like, "Oh, awesome! That's great." Well, I pick it up and it is warm and wet. <laughs> But I'm a, you know, I'm a professional. You understand? So I mean, I, I keep it all together. And uh, after the session, my wife was sitting. What's your name? Jen. Jenny. Jenny. My wife's sitting right where Jenny was. I come down. My wife. Hey, honey, you ready to go to lunch? She's like, "Don't touch me! Put your hand in that filthy man's sock! Don't ever do that again!" She doesn't talk like that, okay? But I have limited girl voices, and that's my favorite. But I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna act out a Bible verse for you. And you're going to tell me what it is. Now, if I had my sock on, it would be obvious this is a dog. But without my sock, I have to tell you what it is. So it's a Bible verse about a dog. Here we go. Ah. I know. I know. It's awesome. Talent. Uh, Anybody know the Bible verse? As a dog returns to his vomit. Do you know the second part of the verse? Because that's like the whole point of the verse. No? But you got the first part. That's good. Partial credit. So a fool returns to his folly. You ever seen a dog do this? It's one of the most viscerally disgusting things that you ever see. Here's my question for myself. Why do I watch? Right? I know what's going to, I know what's happening. Why don't I look away? But instead I'm like, ah! horrible. So God says, hey, just like you've seen a dog do this, is like a person going back and doing the same thing over and over again. Now, some of you are here, are like, look, Rob, listen, okay, you got Bible charades, you got little puppet shows, little activities and object lessons. You know, my kids, my grandkids are 16, 18 years old. I don't think this is gonna fly. Hey, I agree. Th- these activities are largely for younger kids. There are some kids, maybe your grandfather with a, a teenage grandson. There are some activities that really work well with teenagers, particularly uh, boys, and uh, they involve fire, So, granddad, if you tell your grandson, hey, you want to go in the backyard and burn something with me, I guarantee you they're going to say yes, all right? Go burn whatever you got to burn, and then go to any passage in the Bible on fire. Go to Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Go to the day of Pentecost. I don't care. It's going to be great, right? You have his full and undivided attention. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Let's talk about this next one, singing. How many of you uh, sing in church? How many of you sing in church? Okay, let's see who I'm going to pick on. Miss there in the yellow. Can I pick on you? You sat in the middle. What's your name? Jen. Jen? It's got a Jenny and Jen. Yeah. Call all you ladies Jen, all right? So, Jen, now when you say you sing church, you look scared. I'm a nice person. Relax. I don't mean... You're not like worship team gal, are you? Are you down with the regular people like me? Okay, good. So, let me ask you a question. Oh my, we have church like in an hour, right? Okay, so I want you to imagine... In an hour, you're here, and right now you've got an empty seat next to you. You may change that after my illustration. But I want you to imagine during church that a a visitor comes, a guest comes, new person, and they sit right next to you. Would you still sing during the church service in an hour? You would? Really? Okay. I didn't set that up properly. (laughs) Honestly, I drove up last night. A little foggy. This is a new person. Stranger danger. You ever heard that before? Right? Unknown human. Would you still sing out loud next to an unknown human in one hour? Tell the truth. You would? Wow. Very impressive. Raise your hand. They were like, leave her alone. Raise your hand. If you're just like Jen, that you would sing next to a total stranger in about an hour. Wow. I am impressed. I take back what I said about... I called them a remedial group. Was that a part of my opening? Like, ingratiate myself? All right. That was a bad idea. Um... And I believe you. Thanks, you did great. Good job. See, that wasn't bad. I'm a nice guy. Um, so you'll sing next to a total stranger out in public, right? But as soon as I say, "Hey, how about singing at home with your family?" You're like, "I don't know. That's pretty awkward." In public, total strangers, no problem. Home with loved ones, yeah. No, we're not. We're not doing that. So God has given us this uh, uh, invitation to sing to Him as a way to enter His presence and to worship Him. And uh, you can do it all sorts of different ways. We, a lot of times, will pick a worship song on YouTube and put it up on the TV. We got the lyrics on the screen and we'll sing, uh, we'll, we'll sing with that. Uh, my favorite part of, of Christmas and Easter is sometime in the afternoon, Amy's mom, uh, grandma, she's going to sit down at the piano. All the kids and grandkids, nieces, nephews, friends and neighbors are gathering around and we're going to sing. I'm in that room sometimes and I'm pinching myself i grew up with one alcoholic grandmother that didn't know jesus that is totally normal to my kids totally normal what else would you do for half an hour on christmas afternoon or easter afternoon but have grandma sit down at the piano and we're gonna sing our praise and thanks to jesus now again if you go home i gave you tools in the toolbox right if you go home and you've got 16, 18, 20, and you say, we're going to start singing together. Okay, go for it. I don't know how well that's going to go. But if you've got two, four, and six at home, and you go home and you start singing together, what do two, four, and six do? Woohoo! let's go. And you grow into a family that enjoys the blessing of worshiping God uh, at home. All right, let's talk about Bible reading. Let's talk about Bible reading. The question that we always get is, do you have a curriculum? Do you have a guide? Do you have a book? Do you have a curriculum, a guide, a book? We ask that because most of us didn't grow up like this. We ask that because we feel a little insecure or unsure of what to, to do. So I get it, and I understand that. I'm going to give you a two answers, a small answer and a big answer. The small answer is sure. There's lots of curriculums out there. I brought two of ours with me today. We have a family worship guide through the book of Genesis. Next edition of that is... Exodus to Deuteronomy. And here's what we give you every week. They're right out there on the table. We give you, every week we give you an activity. Songs to sing, scriptures to read, questions to talk about, prayers to pray, catechism, stuff for toddlers, stuff for teenagers. So there's lots of um, curriculums out there or guides or books that'll help you with family worship. But I want you to forget about that for a second because let me give you the curriculum. Take your Bible, open it, read it, As if it were the very words of God. And that you believed it with all your heart. That's the curriculum. You want your kids to have faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're just, you know, all of you parents and grandparents, I know, I don't know, I haven't met you, but I guarantee you that you're faithful to physically feed your children. Guaranteed that you do everything in your power to make sure they are well-fed physically. But Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the reality is, and I'm gonna share more of my testimony with you in the next hour because it's ugly at times. The reality is, and I spent many years doing this, feeding my children physically while completely neglecting to feed them spiritually in the house. So central to my challenge for all of you today uh, is to make sure that your spiritual meals for your children are a top uh top priority. Let's talk about this next one. Let's talk about discussion. We're gonna after we read, we're gonna ask two fundamental questions. We're gonna ask what truth do we learn from this passage, and how does this truth apply to our lives? What truth do we learn from the passage? How does this truth apply to our lives? Frequently we skip the first one and we just go right to application or how it might affect how we live. But if you skip the truth piece, you skip the foundation upon which the application is built. And as I said, sometimes the discussion in our family goes toward older kids. Sometimes it goes toward younger kids. Sometimes it goes nowhere, and that is totally fine, right? No stress, no anxiety. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't, that's fine. Um, if family worship is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Let me tell you like what what real, like a great family worship time would look like in our house. First of all, we all have our white robes on. And the light is shining down from heaven upon us. And we have about an hour set aside. There's nobody rushing off to this and rushing off to that. I have got an amazing game object lesson that the little kids are going to love. We are not watching worship on YouTube. All the kids are breaking out their instruments for live family worship, and they're practiced and prepared. Uh, Not only do I know what we're reading, but I know what I want to share from the reading. God's Word is going to work so powerfully in our hearts that it's going to lead us to confess our sins one to another. We are then going to go into our time of prayer where we're going to pray for our family and the lost and our neighbors and global missionaries, and we're going to wrap it all up with our catechism. That, my friends, is family worship. That's the way it ought to be. How often do I get what I just described? Who said that? (laughs) Tell me your name again. Roman, Roman, that's right. Roman, listen, you and I met out there. I thought we made a connection. (laughs) See, Roman, most of the folks in here, I asked the question. I said, how often do I get that? And you see, I'm up here. I see everybody. They're like, oh, Rob, you're probably not that often. You see that? You see like the graciousness? But Rahman, what does he shout? Never. It's so hurtful. <laughs> but truthful. <laughs> you see, listen, here's my point. You see, if if that's what family worship is, right? Everybody's there. Everybody's prepared. Everything's like buttoned up, all the I's dotted and T's crossed. How often are we doing it? Maybe not never, but what? Once a year? Once every two years? Better to have, remember my example before, kids, God help these kids fall asleep fast, amen? Better that every day than waiting a year to do whatever it is that I just described, okay? Just start somewhere. Ask the Lord, my challenge for you, what's going on in your home right now as far as prayer and scripture and singing and, and what's one small thing you could add between now and the end of the year? That's the challenge, And I'm trying to give you tools in your toolbox that would help you take some of these, uh, some of these baby steps. Okay. I'm going to talk about prayer and, uh, then I'm going to uh, conclude our time with, with a story. Okay. And maybe I'll have time for one question, but let's, let's talk about this prayer piece. One of the best ways to get prayer going in the house, uh, is with high low. You can do this when the grandkids come over. You can do it on FaceTime with them. You can uh, do it with your kids and nieces and nephews at home. High-low, we do it at the dinner table where we just go around and we share the high part of our day. What was the best part of our day? People share. By the way, we don't ever make our kids share. We don't ever make our kids pray. We invite them to, but it is guilt-free, grace-filled, no pressure. No pressure. But what's the high part of your day? Well, I had this, I had this, I had this. Awesome. Would someone be willing to pray and give God thanks for those high things that we just heard? How about your lows? What was the hardest part of your day? And I try to go first with that uh, because I want the kids to know that it's okay to share things that were hard or to share, you know, if I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling sad, that it's okay to say that and admit that in the family and ask for help. So what was the low part of your day? Well, I had this, I had this, I had this. Um, Could someone pray and just ask for God's help with those things we just heard? So high-low is awesome because with the pace of our families today, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows that happen that never get shared. And it's a built-in opportunity for Thanksgiving and a built-in opportunity for asking God God for, for his help. I guess I'll do catechism briefly here. How many of you are very familiar with the concept of catechism? Raise your hand, because I've got to know how much to talk about it. Put your hand up for me if you're like, yeah, I totally know what that is. Raise your hand if it sounds creepy and you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right? Great. Let's talk about it. So catechism, you know, it'd be better if instead of calling it catechism, I just called it questions and answers. Catechism is a centuries-old way of teaching people the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. So we use a catechism from a little book called Truth and Grace, Book One. It's on Amazon for $6, and it's on my table for 20 No. <laughs> if I was a better businessman, it'd be on my table for 20 but it's on Amazon for 6 And if you talk to Pastor Chad, there's going to be uh, other catechisms that, you know what I mean, are, are in your denominational world. <clears throat> but, I, you know, I've thought... I thought over the years, you know, maybe I should like videotape Reno family worship. So when I come to Green Bay and I'm talking to you, I could put a little clip of this, a little clip of that, but no, not doing it. Too holy a moment. Remember the white robes, the light shining down upon us. I can't, you know, violate that with including you people on video. Uh, No, it's not like that. It's like, hey, don't bite her. And where is that kid? And all that. So we're super normal Uh, just like you. But the catechism part is is really cool. It might sound boring, but it's not. So imagine Millie, my 16-year-old, she gets to be the catechizer, which means she gets the book of the questions. So she asks her little brother, Rush, question one, who made you? Answer, Rush says, God made me. Correct, little brother. All right, little brother Ray, what else did God make? God made me and all things. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Okay. Big sister, Lamy, why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. Correct again. All right. Big brother, JD, trying to keep my kids straight. Um, how can you glorify God by uh, loving him and doing what he commands? All right. Next question. Why should you glorify God? Because he made me and takes care of me. Basic questions that go all the way through the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. The beauty... With catechism, catechism is especially awesome for any parent or grandparent that is feeling maybe insecure in their own faith. Maybe they're a new Christian. Maybe they didn't grow up like this. Maybe they're like, man, I don't even know where my foundations are in the faith. Catechism is great because you need to be catechized. You need to be systematically taught the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And in order to be a spiritual leader for your family, all you have to do is stay one question ahead. Right? So children, question number one, who made you? Okay, now next week we're going to talk about what else did God make? God made me in all things, so I got to keep my mind spinning on the next question. Okay, final challenge for you before I pray and we prepare for the worship service. I want to challenge you to create a family worship room in your home. Each one of the rooms in your apartment, wherever you live, your home, your condo, has a name. So you have a bedroom, because you go to bed there. Maybe you have a dining area, because you dine there. You have a kitchen, because you kitch there. You have a playroom, because you play there. We have a family worship room in our house. In the middle of the family worship room is the prayer table. Bought the prayer table at Ikea. Y'all have Ikea this far north? Huh? Yes. No, Milwaukee? Milwaukee? Does that count? All right. You take a sled dog trip down there or something? Okay. Well, Ikea, I, I buy my furniture, you know. The, Ikea has a whole, like, row of prayer tables. It's a special religious section. You have to ask the guy, and he'll take you back to them. But it's, it's rectangular and knee-high. What do normal humans call this table? Coffee table, correct. That's not what we call it. We call it the prayer table, because when we pray, we're going to be around that table. We also have these two long puffy things that people sit on what are those called yes couches correct we also have a couple of uh, little square tables with lamps ooh end tables interior design let's go <laughs> picture the room for me what do normal humans call the room living room i was in georgia a woman said that's the parlor I'm like what are you talking about i was preaching in india And everyone said, that's the drawing room, the room we draw our guests into. Hmm. Told them they were wrong, and it's the living room. It's very culturally sensitive of me. No, I just found that fascinating. Okay. So yeah, it's just our family room, but that's not what we call it. What do we call it? Family worship room. Because that's the most important thing that happens in the room. And it gets built into the culture of the house. Hey, time to clean up. Ray, you're in charge of the kitchen. Millie, you're in charge of the family worship room. Hey, dad left his drink on the prayer table. Can you grab that for me? See, it's just kind of built into the way we, the way we talk. Let me tell you a story. Uh, about 10 years ago now, we moved. And my 20-year-old daughter, who would have been 10 then, we're, we're out with the real estate agent looking for a new house to, to rent at that time. And we're visiting different, different homes. And this happened on two occasions, so it really got burned into my mind. We come to a house. We're going to go take a look. And my daughter, Lainey, 10-year-old daughter, she's the eager beaver. She wants to get in there and check this thing out. So the real estate agent is opening the door. Lainey's down here. She wants to get in. And then I'm I'm next in line. So you're going to be me. I'm going to be Lainey, so you get to see what I saw, all right? Real estate agent opens the door. Lainey jumps into the entryway of the house and goes like this. Dad, this could be the family worship room. Now we're getting somewhere. Here's my question for you. Why is the 10-year-old looking for the family worship room? She knows that we are a very needy group of people. And this is something that the Lord showed me at that time that I think is so important. The driver for family worship is not discipline. This is important. We need to do it. I think discipline's valuable. Don't get me wrong. The driver for family worship is neediness. That the mom, the dad, the grandma, the grandpa is spiritually needy. We are hungry for this meal with the Lord. We are needing ourselves to bring our family together into his presence, to pray to him, to lay our needs before him, to have this meal from his word, as opposed to, sit down, kids, this is Bible class. And I think that that spirit of neediness then spreads into the hearts of our kids and then prepares them for a lifetime of childlike faith, which is what the Christian life uh, is, is all about. So I'm going to uh, pray because we've got some time in between the services, but I'm with you all, not all day, but most of the day in between times, please come to me, talk to me. I'd love it. Uh, our resources are out there at the resource table. I can help you with some of that and uh, we'll be back together for worship in just a few minutes, but let's pray. Heavenly father, every one of our families is struggling and falling short. Every one of our families is spiritually needy. And we we fall short, especially at home. So I ask God that you would use today in the power of your Holy Spirit through the truth of your word to turn our hearts to the ministry of our families. Give us fresh vision for how our families can grow together in faith, how we can be sanctified through the power of your Holy Spirit and how our families can just increasingly shine for Christ.